Hello, this is Coming to the Mat podcast from the Melanesian Women Today Impact Service Series. Told through the lens of everyday Pacific Island women, the Mad series seeks to break cultural barriers and invite listeners to hear of real human stories of making a difference. The stories you will hear from this series balance diverse interests and weave together the stories of courageous women who dedicate their lives to making a difference in their communities and country. Coming to the Mad series is a safe space for women in the Pacific to use their voices. It also explores the integral aspects of women's lives all across the South Pacific and gives the listeners a window into the many different issues women face through storytelling. Welcome to Coming to the Mat. As the global pandemic of COVID-19 pushed economies around the world into a global economic crisis, or as the International Monetary Fund calls it the Great Lockdown, we are taking the time this week to look at the different practices and forms of traditional economies in Melanesia, with the focus on Vanuatu. We are also going to talk a little bit about the destruction of the modern Western economic systems. In the International Monetary Fund's April issue of the year 2020, the chief economist predicted a 4.9% decline in the global economy for 2020, down from the 3% the organization predicted in April. The COVID-19 pandemic has pushed economies into a great lockdown that saved lives but also triggered the worst recession since the Great Depression of the 1930s. Vanuatu, along with two immediate neighbors, Papua New Guinea and the Solomon Islands, are among the last places in the world where the traditional economy, or some people like to refer to it as subsistence economy, still outweighs the cash economy in terms of providing livelihoods for the population. For the purpose of keeping with the topic of this discussion, we are going to refer to traditional economy and custom economy as the same in the context of Vanuatu. Today, we are going to revisit an earlier episode on the topic of a custom economy and expand on why it is the source, it is a source of resilience during the current economic crisis and the pandemic. Why the custom economy is considered a source of resilience in times of international economic crisis and why it still outweighs the cash economy in terms of providing livelihoods for the population of Vanuatu where 80% of the population live in rural areas and 20% live in urban areas. In the wake of global pandemic of COVID-19, there has been an evolving narrative of what to expect and how to respond. The novel coronavirus has kept us constrained in our homes and for Vanuatu, borders are closed. Despite the fact that it is still COVID-free, it still has not escaped the economic downturn in its tourism sector, which has seen tens of thousands of workers in the country's tourism industry lose their job due to the pandemic. Some experts warned coronavirus will be with us forever in some form or another. Until a vaccine has been invented and distributed, it is a long way to for recovery. So, what will be become of our world economies? Are countries in the South Pacific taking a closer look at their own current situation and asking themselves if they are developing in the right way? Are they or are we considering our traditional economic system as part of our growth that will be more sustainable for our livelihood and be resilient? 
These are some questions, some of the questions that will be addressed in this episode. In Papua New Guinea, COVID-19 has caused people to return to the old ways of living. In the latest issue of The Guardian, writer Kolalani Vainu, writing from East New Britain, Papua New Guinea noted, as the country wrestles with a nascent, with a nascent but potentially gribbling new outbreak of coronavirus infections, emanating out from the crowded capital, Port Moresby, to the highlands and the river valleys of the sprawling archipelago, many in PNG's villages are returning to traditional economies. In Fiji, the ancient battering system has found its way through the use of social media called Butter for Better Fiji, which has become so popular that it has spread throughout the other Pacific Island countries. The coronavirus pandemic has seen a freeze on tourism income for Pacific Island countries, which has seen hundreds of jobs disappeared overnight. Is custom economy or traditional economy systems the source of resilience for Vanuatu. Welcome to the MAD. I welcome you to the MAD with me, your host, Dr. Mere Tarisovic. And I'm glad to have with me today again on the MAD to discuss traditional economy as a source of resilience is Mr. Kirk Hethman. Kirk is an anthropologist, an anthropologist, and an expert in indigenous cultural preservation. Welcome to the MAD. Good afternoon. You had a meeting. Yes, hello. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, we heard you. <laughs> How yes, are you? Yes, yes. How are you? Hey, long way morning or too dark? Nayami, if I start off from Ibretes, sorry, 7 o'clock in the evening. So you. Okay, yeah. So you. Okay, okay. Yes, and I was saying, I'm going to say, uh, Mary, there might be a little bit of noise in the background here because oh, the building next door. Yeah. There's there's workmen workmen uh, doing a bit of noise, uh, and they're going to try and keep it as quiet as possible. But you might hear some banging and things like that. Eh? And, and that's that's absolutely fine. It's basically what the world is right now. You know, if you're doing any kind of recording or Zoom or whatever conversation, that's that's the nature of the the time that we're in, and that's absolutely fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, so what do you want to uh, talk about today? Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. So let's start off with uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to the mat with Melanesian Women today. So I have a burning question <laughs> that I have, and I we have our guest for today, sorry, Mr. Kirk Hubman. He is what I would call the defender of indigenous cultures, particularly the Vanuatu. So he had spent many years as an anthropologist in Vanuatu. So he first went there from uh, from England, Cambridge University, and then he when he went to Vanuatu, it was then New Hebrides. Now it's Vanuatu. It'll be 40 years in next month, the 30th of July. So um, he spent almost 18 years there doing um, anthropological work, and um, he works. His work still goes on; it's never-ending task. Um, and he also had published 
widely in the uh, anthropological works recording in the aspects of Vanuatu cultures. So we're so glad to have him back with us today on the mat. He was our guest on one of our earlier broadcasts and we talked about the history of pandemics in the Pacific and traditional economy. And today we are going to look at traditional economy. So we are going to use the word for the sake of this podcast, custom economy. We're going to use uh, traditional economy instead. But we're going to have to ask Kirk about how, you know, all of that. He's going to explain to us what is custom economy in terms of traditional economy. So glad to have you back with us to story on the mat, Kirk. We are going to discuss more in depth the traditional economy and what it means for a country like Vanuatu, especially during the impact of COVID-19, but also the global economic crisis. Tatiana Mary, we're very glad to try and uh, talk about uh, this really important topic. And I'd just like to point out that even in spite of the fact that I may have, uh, since the 1970s, spent <laughs> a long time in Vanuatu, on the Hebrides and then now Vanuatu, yeah. I'm still learning. You know, the mm-hmm. more, the longer you stay in these really rich cultures, the more you realize that they're much more complex mm. than anybody can imagine. And, uh, you know, as, as I think I said before, and in this thing, you can be 100 years old and spend your whole life trying to study this stuff, and the, you still got questions to ask. You still want to learn as they're putting you into the grave. Mm, <laughs> that is very true. So I have a burning question um, about our topic for today that I've been uh, anxious to ask you. So how to survive the pandemic of COVID-19 and global economic crisis of 2020, especially as we're referring to the country of Vanuatu? So I guess that will be our first question to you. How would you define Vanuatu's uh, traditional economy? Okay, Mary. Look, Vanuatu's traditional economic systems uh, have a lot of similarities with other traditional economic systems throughout uh, the Western Pacific. Eh? Mm. They're land-based economic systems that place an emphasis on products of the land. Uh, the cultures in the Central and Eastern and Northern Pacific tend to place emphasis on uh, products of the sea. In Melanesia, they tend to place emphasis on products from the land. And your riches are land-based. And the cultures in Vanuatu and in Melanesia in general, although there are always obsessions, are land-based or land-obsessed <laughs> economies. Mm-hmm. And they're really good uh, systems. They're very ancient. Uh, even though, uh, you know, depending on the arrival of the first inhabitants in some of the islands uh, in the Western Pacific, they already had language, they already had cultures in the places that they originated from. So it doesn't matter at what time they may have arrived, if they might have arrived, uh, say, 3,000 years ago in Vanuatu or whatever it is, uh, they already came with language and they already came with culture uh, from areas where uh, their ancestry came from. So they're really ancient cultures, uh, and they've had a lot more time than the so-called modern world, either Western or Asian worlds, or Eastern worlds, to develop uh, very complex cultural and traditional economic systems. One tends to very often, in say for example in Vanuatu, now use the term custom economy, as you said, mm. traditional economy. But custom economy and traditional economic systems are one and the same. Mm. It's just that the term custom economy became popular in Vanuatu um, from around 
uh, 2004. Uh, I think, yeah, 2004, because the Vanuatu Coast Center, uh, when the, the director at that time was Ralph Regan Vanu, um, uh, they'd started this the project, called the, which they called the Custom Economy Project, to try and raise awareness of the importance and value of the traditional economic systems and to try and promote the traditional uh, attitudes to economic systems and traditional wealth items as a protection from the instability of the modern economic world. Uh, and that's a rather interesting thing. It wasn't a, a project to uh, uh, um, try and modernize the country to make it uh, uh, more uh, uh, accessible to modern economic systems or anything like that. It was actually to try and use the traditional ways uh, to protect uh, peoples in the outer islands from... Uh, a possible hiccup or collapse of the um, modern economic system or the Western or Eastern uh, economic systems, because now uh, 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 Southeast Asia, mm. China and those countries, they're just as capitalist as anybody else mm. uh, in the West, even, even more so. Now, as you, as, as you mentioned, now with this, uh, everybody still sort of in many areas of the world in sort of semi-lockdown or semi-lockdown because of the coronavirus or COVID-19 mm. uh, pandemic. Uh, it's a good time for peoples in parts of the Pacific, I think, to sit down and pause and think and look what is really important in life. Right. You know, um, right. uh, are we in the ways that we are developing, in inverted commas, now, mm. um, with uh, modernization, with tourism, things like that, are we developing the wrong way? Mm. Do mm. we need to really think about traditional ways that give us a strong foundation, both economically and culturally, uh, in living uh, self-sufficient and sustainable lifestyles. And that's one of the things that the Custom Economy Project was about, mm. it was to promote sustainability and self-sufficiency. And also, remember, Mary, that the way that, he, that uh, Vanuatu uh, got its independence in the struggle for freedom, mm. as when it was called in the 70s, uh, it was to the whole move for independence in Vanuatu was very different from any other nation in the world. Mm. Uh, any other nation in the world was saying, okay, well, we, you know, we want money, we want education, we want jobs and all right. that sort of stuff. Those things weren't mentioned right. in Vanuatu's independence movement. Vanuatu's independence was, movement was much more intelligent mm. than anybody else's. Vanuatu's independence movement uh, was, was geared towards... Um, getting alienated land back, right. because land is the basis of everything. Mm. It was geared towards uh, retaining and protecting languages and cultures mm -hmm. uh, in the move towards trying to found an independent nation that was self-sufficient and mm. sustainable. Mm. 
That was the thing. And there wasn't a mention of jobs or money no, or education or no, anything like it that. Wasn't, no, it wasn't. So that was where Vanuatu was very, very smart and mm. way ahead of everybody else in those days. Mm. Now, since those days, around the world, there's been billions and billions of words written mm. about the importance of sustainability and self-sufficiency. Right, right. But the whole push for modern development, pushed by both the West and the East nowadays, is to try, it seems, to try and force nations in the Pacific to become less self-sufficient mm. and less sustainable. Mm. And it's, in a way, the way I see it, it's very dangerous for the future. Right. Right. So um, the global pandemic here, as we are, you know, still in it, um, we're not even, in the United States, where I am, we're not even in the second phase yet. That's what the, um, see... Uh, CDC had mentioned the other day. Um, they, then we talk about the uh, what the International Monetary Funds would like to call a great lockdown, which is, you know, the cause of um, COVID-19. So the International Monetary Fund in its issue of uh, April 2020 had said the chief economist predicted a 4.9% decline in global economy for 2020, down from 3% the organization projected in April. So the COVID-19 pandemic has, you know, obviously pushed economies around the world into a great lockdown that saves life, but but has also triggered the worst recession since the Great Depression. So having said that, again, going back now that Vanuatu will be 40 years old on the 30th of July, it almost... To me, seems like it's it's time to revisit why we the determination of gaining independence, and you have clearly laid out those foundations. Um, that it was very clever. Land was perhaps the primary desire because they saw that without that, nothing else can can stand. Um, so how is it, how is it that the traditional economy that we have in Vanuatu is very different in the forms of all the different economic economies, particularly in the market economy that we're in right now? Like, what is the one thing that is very different that makes it stands out? Okay. The, the real major difference in... I think the two systems, or there's, there's lots of systems, but the two major sort of pushes, traditional economic systems in Melanesia and in Vanuatu mm. are geared towards, look, if you follow the traditional economic systems in, in, in Vanuatu or in Western Melanesia, just about everybody is wealthy. Right. <laughs> you right. know, this is the thing. Everybody mm. is wealthy. Mm. The mistake that... Uh, the modern economic system in the rest of the world has made is that they've developed a system in which only a very small percentage of people are what might be classed as wealthy, mm. right at the top, the 1%, and the rest of the population are sort of all in debt or slaving away or, or, or trying to pay off debts or whatever, or losing their houses or, or whatever. And it, mm. seems, it seems to me completely stupid, yeah. you know. I mean, now, look, 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 for example, just to give an example, mm. there's so many things going on in the world today. Right. 
Uh, and there's so many people in the world today, mm. uh, and so many of them are living unsustainable lifestyles and pillaging and destroying the planet as if there's no tomorrow. Mm. As if they continue that way, there may be no tomorrow. Um, uh, but to such an extent that the, some scientists have given the name of this particular age of the Earth as the Anthropocene, which means the the period in Earth's history in which the humans humans are the main influencers of the health of the planet, so to speak. Mm. Um, okay, this, this, so the scientists are using this term Anthropocene for this the new age in the in the world. I would tend to sometimes use the word Stupidocene or Greedocene. But it seems to me that mm. the way that the whole of the modern economic system works is that it seems to be fueled by greed. Yes, absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. um, and the thing is, the traditional economic systems are not fueled by greed. Mm. They're fueled by <clears throat> the production and respect for certain traditional wealth items that need to circulate in such a way that they spread, uh, they spread benefits to all. And mm. in fact, even the traditional leaders, mm. uh, uh, you know, the traditional leaders would tend to be the person through whom wealth flows, but his role, his or her role would be to make sure that it flows out from them mm. to the rest of their people. Mm. Let me just read you a little thing that... For those who are really sort of interested in this kind of topic, mm. the difference between, say, Vanuatu or certain Melanesian right. traditional Guinea, economic Solomon systems and, mm-hmm. uh, and, yeah, 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 and the Western economic system, mm. you, can, um, you can have the Cultural Center published a book about this mm. in um, 2005, mm. and it was part of the Custom Economy Project. Right. This was, I'd just like to also point out that this custom economy project was going on at the same time as that really important movement up in the northeastern part of your Raga speaking area. Oh, yeah. In what? North Pentecost. Yes. Uh, to Raga, with Chief Rileo mm. and everybody mm. over at uh, Lavatman Gemu. Yeah, yeah. That was a really interesting, and still is, it's still going along. Yes. It's a very, very interesting uh, movement. Mm. Uh, that's another way of looking at. Uh, at the, at traditional uh, at traditional wealth mm. um, by spinning the traditional system a little bit and putting the value on pig's tusks, right. where traditionally, traditionally in many areas of northern and northern central Vanuatu, it's not the pig's tusks that are valuable; it's the t- pig's tusks on the living pig. Right. The interesting way that Turaga, the Turaga movement, has spin this thing is to put an actual value on the on the tusks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's very often it's the way that many things start in different areas of the world. You know, mm-hmm. someone has a vision and then we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Right. See how those things go. But the Vanuatu Coast Center's um, uh, custom economy movement was begun in 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, and the blue booklet that I'm talking about was published by the Vanuatu National Cultural Council and UNESCO in 2005. Mm-hmm. And it's available... Uh, as a booklet, as, a, as an A4 size booklet with about 70 pages mm. with illustrations and maps or, or as, a, as an actual booklet or online. Mm. If you want, I mean, I can send you the links 
yeah. to all of that, so that you can put be, them on your website. For, yes. um, and uh, well, I mean, I wrote the booklet, um, so <laughs> it's okay. I can I can do that because um, it was the the people in charge of the project at the culture center, mm. uh, Ralph Regenzano, and everybody actually asked me to do it. Um, <clears throat> and the booklet is called um, "Traditional Money Banks in Vanuatu," right. <clears throat> and the subtitles are also. It could also be entitled, A Status Report on the Production and Use of Traditional Wealth Items mm. in Northern Vanuatu, or The Argument for Revitalizing Vanuatu's Traditional Economy. Mm-hmm. What they asked me to do was to look into the modern economic systems mm. and to see where the gaps are in those systems and where uh, the traditional economic systems may be more beneficial mm. than, than the Western economic system. Uh, and so in 2004, I began looking into the, the Western economic system, and I was really surprised because I hadn't actually looked at it before. You know, one had grown up in it overseas, mm. um, in isolated islands on the far side of the world, like Europe or the U.S. or wherever, wherever people sort of grow up. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, one sort of sort of assumed that that's just the way things were. But then mm. I actually looked into it as a bush anthropologist <laughs> with a background in cultures in Vanuatu, very mm. sophisticated cultures in Vanuatu, yes. Yes. who many of whom are economically obsessed, but in a different way. You know, their mm. economic obsessions are based on pigs and Tusker pigs mm. and mm. Buana, like your, your, your yeah. North Pentecost mat, yes, uh, or shell money, yes. and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, basically, I see no difference. That's money. But right. it's, it's put money with, I mean, pigs are money, mm. Tusker pigs are money, but they're sacred money with legs. Mm. Rather interesting. But anyway, you were asking about uh, differences between we- Western and, and traditional and Western systems. Let me just read a bit from this thing. I wrote mm. this so I can, I've actually got the right to read it. Uh, this is from the Culture Center's book that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also it's a UNESCO publication. It's a United Nations Culture, right. Education and Cultural Organization book as well. And I said, Vanuatu, there's a subtitle on one of the pages, it's from mm. page 30, do Western models apply? Mm. Okay. There has been, and I'm reading from the, the booklet here, there's been an uninterrupted tendency for the outside or Western or Asian representatives to think that Vanuatu needs to be taught and educated how to live how to develop, how to progress. In actual fact, the process is more logical the other way around. Mm. Vanuatu's numerous cultures do possess thoughts, elements, and processes that are relevant to the modern world, which could benefit greatly if only the modern world chose to listen. European environmentalist and cultural ecologist Andrea Feaster, linked to the London-based Conservation Foundation, said in a filmed interview in 1999 after his third visit to the country and talking about his impressions of Vanuatu, he said, quote, they were rich traditionally in that they could devote more than half their time to social activities. Considering the state of the world at the moment, maybe we have something to learn from that. That means Mm -hmm. we Europeans. Mm -hmm. Vanuatu is rich in the sense that they can, they can feed, Vanuatu can feed themselves. They have fertile land. They have very little of interest to the Western economy in the capitalistic sense. Mm. There is very little that they can sell. If they enter the market, 
in inverted commas, they will not be rich anymore. That's yeah. the modern economic market. Yes. They will not be rich anymore. Mm-hmm. Giving Vanuatu a chance of picking out of modern overseas cultures those parts which can help them, not the ones that can raise totally unrealistic expectations, is the answer. Mm-hmm. Vanuatu is a country <clears throat> that has been rich in the past, can be rich, but, but can become very poor if mm. it feels like it. Right. That's the end of his quote. It is apparent that Western and other foreign concepts of riches and poverty do not necessarily transfer themselves easily to the social and cultural situations in Vanuatu. Mm. It's obvious to anyone traveling into the more remote in commas regions of this country that although there may be very little or almost no modern money in certain areas, mm. the inhabitants are definitely not poor, mm. leading deep, culturally satisfying, rich lives, unencumbered by many of the trappings, sometimes classed as necessities by certain modern economists, but in fact often being luxuries mm. that Western, Westerners class as necessities, uh, un- un- unencumbered by the trappings of the modern world. One realizes that the only areas of the country where one can see the beginnings of what might be called real poverty, mm-hmm. in the Western sense, are in the two major urban centers, the capital and Luganville, right. which are in fact just about the only places where there is regular access to modern money, mm-hmm. but also the only places where one actually really needs modern money to survive. Right. Yeah. Many of so- historically have looked upon modern money with a mixture of desire and fear. Mm. And this attitude is shared by many other cultures in island Melanesia. Mm. Although Nivanuatu adopted uh, the use of various forms of modern money from the 19th century onwards in the form of gold sovereigns, English pounds, French francs, plantation money, mm. World War II, U.S. currency, Australian dollars, and now the Vatu, they have in general done so only in a restricted way. Mm-hmm. This may be because modern money is anonymous, simple, mm-hmm. has no deep cultural roots, and disappears quite easily. Right. It also creates lots of jealousy. Yes, Traditional forms of wealth and currencies mm-hmm. often work in different social spheres and are not anonymous. They have deep cultural roots and are better geared to a world where social links, obligations, and relationships are more important than individual material riches. Mm. Okay, okay. I'm just trying to... Um, relative economic concepts. Okay, here's another paragraph. I'm skipping a bit here. Relative notions of wealth and poverty. Okay, it should be pointed out right here, right at the beginning of this section, mm. that we're not here dealing with modern economic concepts versus or against traditional right. Vanuatu ones. Right. Although the Vanuatu systems have been in existence for probably longer than the modern Western ones, Mm -hmm. the two systems, or systems of systems, are not completely incompatible, and elements of one exist in the Mm -hmm. other, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. There are major basic theoretical, or more properly spiritual, ethical, and moral differences, though, that indicate that the two systems can coexist if these distance differences are respected. Right. There are ways, of course, that modern Western economic approaches can benefit Nivanuatu societies, but there are also ways in which theoretical approaches and values from Vanuatu's own cultures can enrich modern Western economic theory. Mm. 
Hmm. Let us start with one of the most basic, simple concepts. What constitutes a rich man or woman right. in Western economics, mm -hmm. and what constitutes the same in Vanuatu's cultures? I was, yeah. We all know what is considered to make up a rich man in the modern, uh, in the modern Western sense of money. Yes. A flash house or yeah. lots of houses, mm. a flash car mm. or lots of cars, uh, a flash wife or yeah. lots of girlfriends, etc. Yeah. Uh, et and now you can add on to that flash mobile phones, etc., etc., etc. You know, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Lots of material belongings. Huh? Yeah. So, yeah. But what constitutes a rich person hmm. in traditional Vanuatu cultures? Hmm. Here we come to a differing series of concepts that vary from culture to culture, but do not vary that much. Hmm. In Vanuatu, a rich person traditionally is one who is rich in spirit. And in wisdom, one whose duty as a rich person is to periodically and perpetually divest oneself of material wealth to the point of bankruptcy to assist others. Mm. Without doing that, one cannot be considered rich. Right. By perpetually distributing wealth, one becomes poor or bankrupt in material riches, but becomes rich in spirit and therefore respected as a rich person. It will be immediately obvious to readers, obvious to readers, that these ideals approach almost exactly the concepts preached by the world's great religions, e.g., yeah. Judaism, Christianity, yeah. Islam, Shinto, Confucianism, mm -hmm. and Buddhism. Yeah. In Vanuatu, high social status, mm -hmm. being traditionally a big man or a high man or right. a high woman, mm -hmm. which commands respect, goes mm -hmm. hand in hand with this concept of material poverty, of assisting others of caring for people right. and the environment. Right. This concept applies especially to hereditary chiefs, to elected chiefs, to chiefs, big men, high men, high women, who have achieved this position through ritual investment and is in fact one of the ways to be considered a chief. Mm. Unstinting generosity is the mark of leadership and without it, one is likely to be dethroned. Right. Such individuals can become focal points for the inward and outward flow of material and spiritual riches. Acts of these aspects of these traditional concepts have also partially spilled over into the political arena since independence in 1980. Hmm. Um, uh, well, there's quite a bit more that, 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 that's actually relevant, but... Um, so, in Western cultures, mm -hmm. the idea of the rich man completely impoverishing himself right. is a respected one and goes back to basic religious philosophy. Mm. Although it is an ideal, it is now almost never followed in the modern world. In mm. traditionally oriented societies in Vanuatu, however, it is the norm rather than the exception. Mm. The philosophical genius of the human spirit is not restricted to only those societies that had developed systems of writing, but also exists in many traditional non-literate societies, such as those in Vanuatu and, for example, other traditional non-literate societies around the world. Mm. From a traditional Vanuatu viewpoint, many of the richest white men or Asians, mm. or Chinese or whoever, would actually be classed as poor people but with lots of money. Right. <laughs> mm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The concept so, of riches and the perpetual retention of the material aspects of them just don't go together. That's that's yeah. correct. So when, when we first started off, I was, you know, just about to say maybe we should define wealth in, you know, and, and so that probably why the idea of um, how to define, you know, wealth in, in terms of GDB um, in Vanuatu, the concept of well-being. 
you know, I mean, for traditional, um, especially when traditional economy is practiced, 80% in the people in Vanuatu, you know, in the village in rural communities, whereas 20% in, um, in places where people move into town and, you know, use cash economy for daily buying and purchasing of things. So I, you know, I guess one of the questions that I also have is, is there specific, in, in Melanesia, for instance, are there different types of traditional economies that we have in Melanesia? Um, are there many different types of, uh, I know, in, like, for instance, Papua New Guinea, Vanuatu, the Solomon Islands, and maybe other parts of the Pacific. Um, what are what are some of those traditional economies? I, I, I guess what we were saying is that because of the state that we are in right now with COVID-19, the big question is how do we get our, ourselves back to knowing that this has existed, that we can survive, we, we're able to get out of this COVID-19 post-tropical cyclone herald that has just been, and we're still in it, we're still with the, all the you know, cases of um, coronavirus is now PNG is up to 11. Um, and you see a lot of those traditional economy, there are aspects of it that it's been coming out from Papua New Guinea, the Solomon Islands, and Vanuatu. Um, how many of those do you know that are still in use or that, that are practiced, that are very strong, still forms of traditional economies that are being used throughout Melanesia or perhaps the Pacific? Okay. Okay, Mary, really good series of questions there. Look, Melanesia is it's a really interesting situation because when the global financial crisis uh, struck in 2008 and everybody was getting married and people and, you know, there were six million people in the United States, for example, that lost their houses and things like that, mm. you know, and stuff. But the area of the world that was least affected by the global financial crisis was Melanesia. Right. Because of the thing that you mentioned there is that uh, it's not just the situation in Vanuatu, but the situation in Vanuatu, the Solomons and uh, cultures on the island of New Guinea, mm. is, as you say, around 80% of the population uh, is, is still based, uh, land-based, raising most of mm. their own food, and only periodically sort of dipping their toes or, dip, or touching their fingers with modern money. To a certain extent, I mean, for them, modern money can be uh, useful, but they can live. If you don't have it, you could st you still survive. Whereas, mm -hmm. for example, in the United States or in Europe, if you don't have money, you, you can't survive. Look what happens in the United States. I mean, it's mm -hmm. almost almost the worst uh, country in the world to be poor in. You know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> um, and the thing is, uh, the global financial crisis didn't yeah. really affect Vanuatu that much. There was a rather interesting thing um, that happened at the end of 2008. So I was back down in Vanuatu, uh, and I was actually asked, asked to give a talk to the culture center field workers about mm. the global financial crisis and to explain to them what it was all about. You know, so I had to start mm. talking about money and things like that. Uh, 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 and uh, it was really interesting. There were about 60 of the field workers at the meeting from all over the place. Uh, Richard Leona, Chief Richard Leona from Lolton was one of the field workers there at the time. He was, I think, the secretary of the or chairman of the Culture Center Field Workers uh, Committee at the time. Mm. Uh, that's the late Chief Richard Leona 
from uh, from uh, uh, Lotong, mm. uh, up up in your your Raga speaking area. Um, yeah. But the interesting thing was was that you know in in um, uh, if you gave a talk about the origins of the global financial crisis in Australia or Europe or the United States at that time, uh, and about the stupidity that led to it. I mean, it was just stupidity and greed that led to it. Um, uh, uh, people would get really angry if they heard the truth about it. But the interesting thing was at that meeting at the Coach Center in the end of 2008, <laughs> none of the field workers got angry about it because the thing is it, didn't, it wouldn't affect them at all. None of them, none of them would be affected. In fact, they were going, oh, sorry to us. We're really sorry to hear about all those white people. Oh, they're having a really bad time, you know. They're really sorry for them. And after I'd finished the talk, and I'll just read you a little teeny bit from a, uh, a Sydney Morning Herald rang me here in Australia in early 2009, um, and they said, look, do you have any thoughts about the global financial crisis? And, and I said, yeah, darn right, I do. You know, <laughs> you know from, from the point of view of peoples in parts of the Western Pacific, what crisis? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what crisis? But anyway... So I wrote a thing for the Sydney Morning Herald about that and how and how uh, uh, many cultures in the world were, were not affected at all by that because they were still based mainly in or are still based mainly in their traditional economy. And mm-hmm. the thing is, the possession of land, your traditional land and your own culture, and your traditional food. And food is yeah. the basis of real wealth. Right. That's what right. it's all about. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. slow kai kai, slow food. Right. Uh, it's the basis right. of real, real, the real traditional economy. If you're mm-hmm. on your own land, and if you're raising almost all, or you have the possibility of raising almost all of your own food, then yeah. whatever can else can happen in the rest of the world, it's not really going to affect you that much. Mm, and this true. is where Vanuatu and the Solomons and uh, PNG and stuff, they were really, really lucky. Because that yeah. big crisis didn't affect them. Mm. And the thing is, the current crisis, uh, unfortunately because of the cyclone, it's a bit bad up there, and particularly Pentecost and other mm. areas. It's going to take a while to recover your land and your gardens and stuff like that. But the COVID uh, coronavirus lockdown and mm. the financial crisis that is developing because of it around the world right. is mm. still not going to affect Vanuatu or most other areas of Melanesia as much as it will affect the rest of the world. Right. Uh, at the end of the talk, I said, just, I'll just read the end of this article that, the, that I wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald, and it was published in the Sydney Morning Herald on the 9th of February, 2009. At the end of the talk, you know, uh, uh, one of the chiefs said, after the talk, I wrote, after the talk, one of the chiefs, an old and dear friend, came up to me and we shared cigarettes and bananas outside the culture center. He said, quote, we're very, very sorry to hear about all the problems the white man is having now, and yeah. our heart goes out to them. Some of us have tried to warn them before. When you go back overseas, you can tell them that if they want to learn how to live a good, sustainable life, they can come and stay with us, and we'll be glad to teach them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was a chief from Edomango who told me that. A really good, really good friend. Anyway, mm. what they didn't include in the article, they cut out the last sentence in the article, but he, that as he walked away, he turned around and he said, oh, he said, but, but uh, 
Tell them only one of them can come. One's enough. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. If we're going to invite the whole world, I don't think we may be able yeah, to exactly. make it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they suddenly realized, they suddenly realized it was a bit too much of, a, uh, of, of an open invitation. Um, but the thing is, yeah, 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 you're right. This, this, and you mentioned, look, you mentioned mm. GDP. This is a mistake. Mm. This is the modern world. So these economists, most economists have no concept at all of traditional economic systems. For most of the modern economists, they don't even realize that these things can exist or still exist. Mm. Most economists are still today are even just, they're number, numbers crunchers. They crunch figures and this and that. And they're obsessed with GNP or GDP. But mm. look, you mentioned GDP. Right. And then I'll get on to that other section of your question where you talked about where is the cultural uh, uh, tradition economy still surviving. You mentioned mm. GDP. And one of the things in that 2005 Culture Center publication is a very important quote, one of the, on, right at the beginning of the publication, hmm. we've got a quote from Robert Kennedy, the, the late Robert Kennedy, who was hmm. the brother of um, uh, the Kennedy. president, uh, John F. Kennedy, who was assassinated. Hmm. Now, hmm. on his... In, in 1968, right. the late Robert Kennedy began his uh, he began his own campaign to become president of the U.S. in 1968, mm. and the concept or a criticism, possibly the strongest ever mm. and absolutely correct criticism of the concept of GNP or GDP, was actually part of his opening speech on his first day of his campaign mm. in 1968. And he was assassinated shortly afterwards. Uh, really sad. Anyway, he says, I'll read you from the, this is from, from his speech, but also it was used in part of the Coach Center publication in 2005. GNP, gross national product, counts air pollution and cigarette advertising and ambulances to clear our highways of, of carnage. It counts special locks on our doors and the jails for the people who break them. Uh, remember, he's talking about the United States here. It counts the destruction of the redwoods and the loss of our natural wonders. It counts napalm, that's a poisonous fire thing that was used in Vietnam. And it counts nuclear warheads and armored cars for the police to fight the riots in our cities. Yet the gross national product, the GNP, does not allow for the health of our children, the quality of their education, or the joy of their play. It does not include the beauty of our poetry or the strength of our marriages, the intelligence of our public debates, or the integrity of our public officials. It measures neither our wit nor our courage, neither our wisdom nor our learning, neither our compassion nor our devotion to our country. It measures everything, in short, except that which makes life worthwhile. Mm. And I think that's possibly the strongest most profound yeah. criticism that anybody's ever said of GNP and GDP. It counts things. It's just a number-crunching device used by economists to count things that very often are not positive things. Mm. Uh, yeah, sorry. But anyway, look, you asked about what areas in Melanesia, what types of different types of traditional economic systems are there, and mm. what areas... Uh, are they surviving really strongly? Look, mm. 
there's many, many different types of traditional economic systems throughout mm-hmm. Melanesia, depending upon the types of cultures. Look, for example, up in your area, North Pentecost, you've mm-hmm. got you've got the Buana, the money mats are white and red. You've got different types and different mm-hmm. lengths of the red woven and dyed pandanus money mats. They're actual money mats. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you've got uh, traditionally the chom, um, uh, uh, the shell money. In the old days. And that was the the interesting thing. And it, those sorts of things, those are interchangeable traditionally. They're actually forms of currency with sort of a sacred aspect to them, a, a custom aspect. The, so, but, so the shell money were once used in Vanuatu as well, not just the oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But now, oh, interestingly enough, interesting. now the the royal mint, how do you say, the royal mm. manufacturer for shell money, the headquarters of that. Yeah. In northern Vanuatu, was based around the reef islands up in uh, up in the banks and torres, and oh. uh, there was a small island uh, which called itself Ro. Uh, I think people from Malta mm. and other people yeah. from the banks islands they call it Roa. Yeah, and that's where mm. the money makers lived. The shell money makers was that was their headquarters, huh. and the people living there, their whole mm. life was geared around making shell money. That was distributed mm. throughout the the banks and tours, and as far down as Santo through Maivo, Pentecost, and things like that. There was really extensive mm. trade networks distributing the various mm. types of shell money. Um, mm. Now, um, the people on the island of Ro, uh, I mean, they were full time, full time working. This was their life, day and night, you know. Right. Um, right. And they were fed by other islands in the banks islands that would bring them food. Because the people on mm. row were supposed to be spending their time you know, full time making shell money, um, mm. and the thing is, the shell money in Vanuatu was the closest thing there was to like modern cash, you know. Right. Um, and you could lend it out to rates of interest and compound interest, but the rates of interest were very high because it was a hundred percent rate of interest. You know, if you lended somebody mm. lent somebody a, a a string of shell money, uh, even yeah. if only for one day for use in a ritual or a payment or something like that. What they had to pay back the next day, or even uh, a, or a year later or so, was uh, uh, double that, something like that. Huh? Um, but it was. So was incredi- that was that was that tradition um, a trade from the Solomon Islands? Or are they completely two different uh, ah, economic yeah, systems? Different, different systems, completely different, completely wow. different. Um, but what's happening now, for example, in mm. North Pentecost? Is North Pentecost because mm. sometimes some of the shell money, Choma, I can't remember what you, Homo, Homo, I think you call it Homo. Homo, right? Homo. Yeah, yeah, Homo, yeah, homo. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Homo, Homo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Up in the Banks Islands, it's called Som, um, Milo, uh, Malo, it's called Chom. Uh, okay. Uh, anyway, um, now what uh, mm. people are using in parts of northern Vanuatu is they still need shell money because. In the 1950s, the population of the island of Roa was taken off of Roa. It was very badly damaged. Mm. Uh, the island was very badly damaged in a cyclone in the 1950s. Mm. So the population were taken off, and most of them were uh, taken to the island of uh, Uruparapara, where they uh, live now. Okay. Their descendants are living uh, yeah. mainly in the villages of, I think, Lehali and Lehalarup on Uruparapara. They still okay. have the knowledge and the equipment there with them to make mm-hmm. shalmani. But they're now more integrated into the societies on Odapadapara. Um, mm. 
But and so, so they haven't really been producing much since mm. then. So what's happening now is, for mm. example, I know that for example in certain um, Bolololi uh, playing with pigs, uh, great rituals in uh, yeah. in North Pentecost. Pentecost. For sometimes mm. now, for some of the uh, the uh, the shell money armlets, beadlets that are used for various sorts of things, they're now getting uh, the shell money beads from the Solomons. Yeah. 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 Mm. It was uh, Motari Mavoa uh, who told me that. Hilda, Hilda Lini who told me that. And uh, Chief mm. Richard, the late Chief Richard Leona told me that. Mm. Uh, and they showed me yes. some. They showed me some. Uh, because the thing is, the Solomon Islands is now the Western Pacific's, uh, Pacific's major shell money producer. Shell money. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yes. shell money. Uh, and Especially Malaita. Yeah, Malaita. Mm. And it's based around uh, yes. Langa Langa. Lagoon and Laulassie and places like that yes. on Malaita, mm. and they're going yeah. full swing, full swing. Oh, yeah. You know, the, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the industry of producing shell money has not diminished. In fact, it's increased mm. because they're about the last of the major producers. And now they've got mm. uh, offices in, uh, they have offices in Honiara and things like that. And they've yes, been asking they the, Hon- yes. the Solomon Islands government for modern equipment to, uh, to, uh, uh, uh so they can produce more shell money, because what they've found is that although modern money is becoming more widely used for many things, for example, in the Solomons mm-hmm. and other parts of the Western Pacific, they're finding that modern money in many cultures has not taken yeah. the place of traditional wealth mm-hmm. items for really important mm-hmm. ritual stuff like marriage payments, marriage mm-hmm. exchanges, uh, death mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yes. payments, death exchanges, or social status uh, ritual uh, exchanges. And so many cultures, mm. they, they've actually found at first, when modern money came in, they thought, oh, well, we can get rid of this stuff, uh, the mm. shell money, but they found, no, they can't, because it, it works yeah. in a different series of worlds. Modern money right. is not respectful enough to be, at least with shell money, it's, uh, it's got a bit more weight to it. So the mm. people in Langa uh, Langa Lagoon on Malaita, I mean, they're just going full swing with this stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's being, uh, you know, people are going into Honiara and over to Malaita and they're getting shell money to distribute mm. around parts of the Pacific. And some of it's ending up in parts of northern Vanuatu. The hope was yes. with the Custom Economy Project that the Cold Center were doing, the hope was that they could get the people uh, now living on Urupara uh, or mm. Leheli and Lehelarup who have the knowledge and the rights to make the shell money, if they could get them to do right. do it again, then that would sort of, mm-hmm. you know, be another good positive yeah. development, a protection it against the, inst- the instability of modern money. But it doesn't seem right. to have taken, uh, taken off. And also because people realize now, I think, that they can get shell money from trade links through to the Solomons, huh? So this right. is one of the reasons why I, I, it's a good thing that the boundary between northern Vanuatu and the eastern Solomons has been opened up, so that can flow more yes. easily. Sorry, go ahead with your question. Yeah. Uh, well, I wonder, you know, the um, with the COVID-19, the restrictions and all of that, you know, it tends to be a, another way of uh, opening up the floodgates of what has been so, um, you know, have not been exercised or practiced for a long time. And you, like you were saying, this shell money from hopefully the people in Uruparapara could then 
um, startup again because how 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 are the you know many other ways that we can find ways to um, to trade within the traditional economy. So those are some of the practices that can, you know, I mean, shell money, for instance, is definitely a very good uh, pathway of uh, the trades within the traditional economy to survive. Um, so Papua New Guinea, is there any other, you know, maybe there's one uh, particular traditional economy that is still in practice that is very well, you've much got of to, the you've got to. Um, You've got uh, lots of different traditional systems in Papua New Guinea. Right. Um, right. You had people making shell money down towards coastal areas and stuff like that. And then you had large-scale trade, trade networks that would make Kina shells. Kina, the, the mm -hmm. modern, uh, yeah. I mean, Vanuatu's currency is called Vatu, which is stone. But uh, right. Papua New right. Guinea's currency is Kina, which is a pearl shell money. Uh, and that's mm. uh, a type of currency produced made out of pearl shell. But it was traded right up from the coast, right up into the highlands of Papua New Guinea. Uh, mm. You know, long before any uh, modern people, uh, even sort of in inverted commas, discovered the peoples in the highlands. That was 1933, the right. Lady Brothers sort of wandered, looking for gold, wandered into a supposedly uninhabited area, climbed over a mountain wall into the Waggy Valley, and found out, <laughs> found out I think it was uh, those people up there, it was 240,000 people living very happily in the Stone Age. Uh, but using Kina, uh, mm. um, uh, 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 pearl shell money, as one of their major forms of currency. Um, mm. And that's, that's become the, the name of the national currency. Uh, Kina, mm. I'm not sure if the production of Kina uh, has really continued. I think there's probably some, still some people making it. But I must admit, personally, at a level, it does seem to me that Unfortunately, maybe Papua New Guinea has been a little bit too much fooled by the outside world because there, there doesn't seem to be any sort of major government institutions that are actually standing up publicly and saying, look, we have many good things in our culture that we need to protect and promote. And some of them may mm -hmm. be some of our traditional economic systems. There doesn't seem to be any government institution in Papua New Guinea that's doing that. There's nothing like there, like the Vanuatu Cult Center or the National Museum there or the field workers whose focus with the chiefs, working with the chiefs, mm -hmm. is to protect, promote, and develop sort of aspects of traditional culture for the benefit of current and future generations. Uh, but in PNG, it seems to be a complete and utter rapid and unquestioning acceptance that anything from the modern world is good, whether it's being proposed by the West or whether it's being proposed by China. Uh, and mm. it's really I... quite sort of scary because those, those two slightly differing development models being pr proposed by the West and by China, but neither of them are really in the long term good, at least in my view, for the future, independent future of peoples in the Western Pacific. Uh, mm -hmm. The West wants to get the West mm -hmm. wants to get everybody sort of indebted into this sort of uh, modern economic right. system where everybody is just sweating to follow mm -hmm. a system that regularly breaks down. But once every thirty or forty right. years it breaks down. The global financial crisis was, you know, I mean you've got a current crisis growing. But the thing is, it's the way that the modern Western economic system was was developed. Uh, uh, it was 
have actually developed to have these periodic breakdowns. And what happens during the periodic breakdowns is that the, a small number of incredibly wealthy individuals or companies take that opportunity of the breakdown to then buy up all these companies and land, etc., etc. So everybody, they buy them up at rock-bottom prices. But that collapse, mm. these ritual collapses, once every three or four decades or so, is actually built into the way that the modern economic system is, is built up. The Chinese system yeah, is slightly different. Yeah, the Chinese system, theirs, mm. they say they're promoting a form of development which basically is, according to some people who've looked at it, is a way of developing a form of development around the world that basically later they themselves can then take advantage of, because they're you know, putting in roads and infrastructure, they can then take advantage mm. of to suck the lifeblood out of all those other countries to provide food and etc., 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 for their own populations. This right. is the thing. It's so a, you, a thing you... that looks good right now, but 20, 30 years down the line, you'll find that the whole situation is reversed. No. It'll be sucking land and food and everything. You know, um, everybody mm. will be, if they follow too much of their system, everybody outside in the Pacific is going to be growing food to be sent to China. You know? Yeah. yeah, so yeah. We're we, we obviously talking about the impact of global capitalism. That's, you know, that big elephant in the room that oftentimes, I mean, obviously what you, you, you're referring to, right? Yeah. Um, global capitalism. So, um Let's go back to I think one of the um, the Tropian Island in Papua New Guinea. Um, I have I have seen some of the practices coming, especially right now. It seems to be the mothers especially have been um, the they call it the dopa, the traditional money that women make out of the banana dried banana leaves, where they get the uh, green banana leaves and then they scratch it and make. Uh, on the wooden board and then eventually it's like a, it's a form of money so it, it's interesting because Papua New Guinea is so huge and there is very, very very diverse in so many ways and yet they're almost they're also very rich in natural uh, resources so I guess that that's kind of the strike the balance between the two of you know how do you stay how do you keep the traditional way of economy versus using the resources and what's coming in from uh, what you're talking about, the Western economy. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But it's oh. good to see, it's good to, go ahead. Uh, yeah. You were mentioning, is that, was that the, the Trobian Islands you were talking about? Yes, yeah. yes, the Tropian yeah. Islands. Yeah, because yes. they had this incredibly, and there's bits of it still going, this incredible, uh, interesting ritual trade network called the Cooler Ring where they would ritually mm. do these regular trade things through the, throughout the Trobian Islands where they would uh, ritually trade certain wealth items, um, shell armbands, Kronos shell armbands and things mm. like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that kept things going, and there were all sorts of things that were associated with that. And it was, it was mm -hmm. a, a, a actually a really complex system. Unfortunately, what happened was that mm. with aspects of that system, the development of the cruise boat industry has very seriously affected aspects of that because uh, within the last uh, decade or so, you know, people have been promoting these big cruise boats to go out to various areas, supposedly with a way to, you know, spread um, 
you know, a bit of wealth around the islands and things like that. But in the Caribbean islands, what's happened? Okay, you had this situation where the cruise boats go into, um, uh, I think, the main island, Kirawina, uh, on the Trobians. Mm. And so everybody knows that there'll be thousands of tourists coming off the boat who will want to buy souvenirs. And so people were going there mm. making model canoes and, you know, carving little pigs and things like that. But also, they've been selling off some of the really, really important ritual wealth items that are used in the Kula Ring. So it's actually making, breaking down this really ancient and very sophisticated sort of ritualized trading network that went throughout the uh, the, um, the 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 Trobriand Islands. But you're right, absolutely right, in saying that there are all these other aspects where people have their own systems uh, mm. and can do the, the traditional stuff. Like you mentioned, that thing where the women are doing this. Leaf money, now that's really interesting. Yes. And I hadn't heard yes. about that, but that's really good. And that's something that should be supported and promoted because the thing is, in Melanesia, you've got so many instances of things like that where yeah. you can actually make yeah. your own money. And all yes, you need yes, is for people yes. to accept it. And then yeah. it's, it's free. It's sort of free. Uh, uh, it's a free system. And the thing is, look. It's a look, free system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, Mary, this mm. is. Um, the interesting thing is, if we go back to the way the modern mar market economy started, it started that way. If you can make mm. people believe it has value, then oh, that's, that's the okay. thing. And the thing is, this is what a lot of people in the, in the Pacific and the rest of the world don't necessarily know, is that the modern Western economic system, which the Chinese are now following, uh, right. it's it, it, basically it's a confidence trick. <laughs> because money itself, mm. modern money, actually has no intrinsic value. It's only because people believe in it. Look, let me just read mm. you a bit uh, from this Culture Center publication, the 2005 thing, the Culture Center publication on that. Yeah. The modern Western economic system, a background and cautionary note. It may survive, surprise Nibonawatsu and Pacific Island readers to know that the modern Western economic system as modern capitalism, that is extending itself around the world, is actually a relatively new phenomenon. Of course, money in the form of coins has been around for thousands of years in certain cultures, but the present system with banknotes, business ventures, financial and stock exchanges, and so on, is really only a couple of centuries old, and the present free market economy much more recent. The modern Western economic system owes much, but not all of its beginnings, to a rather charismatic young gambler and man about town, and then in brackets I wrote, the beast mm. of my translation of that would probably be snooker, <laughs> with, 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 with a brilliant flair for mathematics, the, the Scotsman John Law. Now, this is the thing. If you study economics at university anywhere, yeah. you, hardly any, you never hear about this guy. He's the chap who mm. really better than you hear about all these other economists that are trendy and all this sort of stuff, but you never hear about this mm. guy because this is the guy who actually started the thing, and there are some very embarrassing things about it. He was a gambler. He was a womanizer, mm. and brought on a woman, all sorts of stuff. But he had a brilliant mm. mind, and he was obsessed with the idea of money. Okay. Escaping mm -hmm. from London in 1695, this is about John Law, mm -hmm. Scotsman John Law, Escaping from London in 1695 after killing a man in a duel there, 
He made his home and further fortunes gambling on the European continent, because gambling was one of his obsessions. Okay, this was in the continent of Europe. Okay, he was fascinated by the nature and theory of finance and tried to develop a scheme to restore the fortunes of impoverished France under the rule of King Louis XIV, the 14th. John Law convinced those in power in Paris that money could be lent in the form of notes, i.e., this is the invention of banknotes, the invention of, in the form of notes, i.e., it did not have to be in the form of silver or gold coins. Money could be lent in the form of notes, backed by assets, and could repeatedly be lent and relent. Those notes, banknotes, so that's all they are, it's just... It's just loan forms, you know, I'm loaning this to you, sort of, mm. you, know, you know. If everyone had confidence in the system, then the system would work. That's if everybody believed that the thing had value, then it would work. He was given the official okay, and in 1716, opened the first French bank to issue, issue paper money, banknotes. <clears throat> this became the Banque Royale, the Royal Bank, in 1718. Mm. He started trading companies, which became investment opportunities for shareholders and effectively <clears throat> created the world's first stock market boom. And the word millionaire, in inverted commas, was invented to describe those that made fortunes in this speculation. That's why the word millionaire, even in, in, if it's written in English, <clears throat> is written the old French way, because that's where it came from. It came from this thing. True to its origins... It was actually a form of gambling with a slightly more polished appearance. Like certain economists today, John Law believed that the market should be left to develop freely. Quote, he said, constraint is contrary to the principles on which credit must be built. End quote, he said, when things were going well. His attitude changed, however, when things started to go sour. Quote, he said, despotic power, to which we are beholden for the system, will also sustain it. He, was, he recommended bringing in the soldiers to support the system when mm. people lost faith in the system. You know, he huh. His financial empire collapsed in 1720, uh -huh. and with it, the new French financial system. But basically, the market system around the world today has a similar base, investment, credit, speculation, and a search for profits. This is not to say that it is wrong, but it may be of use to know where systems originate. And certain cultures in Vanuatu could be said to be doing the same things, traveling to right. invest in Tusker pigs in an area where they are cheaper than right. your own area, is not that different from speculating right. on the stock exchange. But at least with the pig, yeah. you have them in your hand yeah. or canoe, and if their value suddenly drops for some unknown reason in your area, you know that you could mm. sell or exchange them in another area where their value has remained high. On a stock exchange, well, all you may be mm. left with is a valueless piece of paper. Right. And in, 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 in terms of value, I mean, obviously in Vanuatu, there's so much of that. We haven't even touched yet on, you know, the food. Uh, what do you call it? Um, let's look at here. Uh, food security. But then let's, yes, food security. But then you go back to, um, you know, we haven't even touched on kava, which is one of, you know, what's called green gold right now in Vanuatu. So when we talk about value, I mean, that's so much of them that believe of this, this magic drink, that it's so obsessive. 
<laughs> you could almost make some sort of monetary fund out of it, some sort of system that, you know, it's all about kava. Um, anyway, well, so well, it, how about... On, on Tana, oh. on Tana yeah. they don't use Tusker pigs or money mats or anything. They use kava roots mm. and pigs mm. and, uh, and uh, traditionally um, five bundle skirts and bundled penis mm. wrappers and things like mm-hmm. that as a form of exchange. I mean, and carver, carver right. roots is a really important right. exchange item. And it's almost, the, the root itself on Tanner can be used almost as a form of payment, almost as a form of, of sacred money in a way. Right. <laughs> so can you um, highlight probably two of the benefits of uh, traditional economies in, in pertains to Vanuatu? that you know we're talking about here we are COVID-19 post-tropical cyclone uh, and um, economic crisis um, what are some of the we already highlight the fact that 80 percent of people in Vanuatu live still live in the traditional way of live uh, you know lifestyle 20 percent because they live in the urban uh, so, um, uh, in town, but they still do practice that in terms of like, you know, if someone's ma- getting married, uh, there's a death, uh, a child has um, been christened, all that kind of um, lifestyle that we do practice. So let's um, probably highlight one or two benefits of traditional economy that so for our audience to um, to kind of get an understanding when we would we're talking about why, you know, okay, traditional okay. economy. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. I think the traditional economy thing is re- to support is really important to support because it comes out of your land. Uh, mm-hmm. And yam, taro, and all those things that are the basis of so much. Um, and uh, the other things that are used in the traditional economic system, the really big important difference between them and modern money is that the stuff mm-hmm. in the traditional economy, there is respect involved in it. With modern money, there's no respect, nothing. Modern money is just money. As, as one one uh, person in South Pentecost many years in a custom area told me many, many years ago, uh, money, hemi shit shit blong all foreigner. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it, there's no respect involved in it. But custom uh, stuff, there's respect involved. There's... There's ways that these things can be exchanged. Uh, I mean, you know, if you grow yams, you, you, you can eat yams, but you can also exchange them. I mean, you may, what you may get back in the exchange is, is exactly the same number of yams that you gave. But the important thing is the link that's made uh, by the exchange. Uh, mm. Modern money, okay. <laughs> you can try and do it, but modern money is very anonymous. And it does seem mm. to create problems. It creates big jealousies. And look at the problems it's created around the world. My gosh. (laughs) You know, uh, not just because of the fact that the whole world economic system tends to collapse periodically. Because what happened was John Law was a gambler. And he Mm -hmm. set up the economic investment system in such a way like the owner of a gambling casino. And this is why if you walk into the, the... uh, stock exchange in London or New York. And what you're actually walking into, well, at one level of analysis, you're actually walking into sort of an electronic casino, a gambling casino. So this is basically what people are doing. Mm. Uh, he set the whole thing up. He set the first mm. thing up. It's basically like a 
casino where usually the the uh, every now and then, every now and then, mm -hmm. those who are gambling they can win little bits here and there, and it keeps them happy. But periodically, mm -hmm. the system is designed so that periodically the gambling house itself takes back all the profits. That's when the system collapses mm -hmm. for those who are actually doing the gambling. And if you get involved in the modern economic system, basically what you're doing, you're getting involved in modern, nowadays, electronic gambling system. And periodically, mm -hmm. the way that the whole thing was set up, originally, uh, it periodically takes everything back. And so it collapses. The collapse is actually built into the system, you know, uh, in a way. So but with the traditional economy, no, you've got, it's actually really stable. You can, you can grow all your own food. You can grow, mm -hmm. you can make, use your traditional wealth items. Uh, and then if you have difficulty getting modern money, but you can use bits of modern money for the peripheries in life. You know, if, if you want to, if you, you know, if you want to buy a, a new mobile phone in the capital or wherever. I mean, you're not going to go into mm. store and offer them offer them money match or anything like that because they won't take it. That's when you mm. <laughs> that's when you've got a when you might need a, when you might need a, a, a modern money. But for the basics in life, the real basic mm. essentials in life, it's the custom economy that provides that. So long as you've got your own land, that's the thing. Right. So whatever you do, that's don't get rid of your land. Huh? Yeah. Right, and I, I think that was I was gonna say that because, you know, it feels like this traditional economy is such a um, amazing concept, but it obviously would not be able to exist if you don't have your own traditional uh, owned land, um, which is what Vanuatu was very much. Um, why it became independence in the first place because it saw that as you know without land. There is no me as a, as an Ivanuatu person. Yeah. Um, yeah. So another benefit I'm um, wondering if the traditional economy is, a, is an example of an excellent sustainable management of natural environment because of the diversity, the biodiversity. Would that be um, another benefit? Yes. For oh yes, it's really positive. Okay. I mean, to, if you want to have your traditional economy going, you've got to look after your environment. Because there's so many of the items in your traditional custom in your custom economy that are linked in so closely with the environment, I and mean, the environment is actually part of the custom economy. So you really need to look after your environment so that the environment is healthy, both land and and your marine resources. Uh, mm. and, uh, and the thing is, cultures that follow a traditional economic system are much better keepers of their environment yeah. than countries mm. in the modern world. You know, I mean, look, you know, what's happening now in the West or Australia or mm. China, where they're actually destroying their environment. Mm. Again, as I said, as if there's no tomorrow and they're suddenly going to mm. wake up and find out, you know, uh, oh, my gosh, we can't eat money. Mm. <laughs> That's right. the thing. Right. Yeah. Oh, right. It's, I mean, it's it, Mm. So, so then comes the food security. And speaking about food security, before we talk about that, you know, the COVID nineteen has re and post tropical cyclone Harold in Vanuatu, but you know, overall the Solomon Islands, Vanuatu, and Fiji, where the cyclone really hit, hit badly. Um, 
I, you know, one of the things that I noticed is that immediately after after that, which is probably part of the project that you guys have, you know, put together, and is one of the things that the cultural center, you know, in Vanuatu has worked really hard with other departments in Vanuatu. I noticed that immediately after that, um, the agriculture department was giving out seedlings for to the families and anyone who can start their own little backyard garden, particularly those living in town. Yeah. So um, that's one of the benefits of traditional um, traditional economy is the fact that every single one of these people, it's not like planting a, a garden is very a foreign concept. It's an everyday lifestyle. So that was a really quick um, realization how that came together really fast, um, provided that, you know, we didn't have any help from outside because of COVID-19, everybody, everything was, the borders were closed. Um, another thing that I noticed as well is that immediately the system that's in place, you know, the fact that how traditionally we come together, so villages and communities, but mostly the government is immediately turning to turn that into that system of how do we take, for instance, we knew that the cyclone completely destroyed the larger part of Santo and then part of the north and south Pentecost. So what they did was got different islands to, to if they had yams, harvested yams, or if they had taro or, you know, whatever that they could give in that um, system of giving, like we were talking before, you know, if you have something and you give it, so in return in the future, these people can then give something back to you. So the Ministry of Agriculture did a wonderful job in that sense, where they were able to get these tons of food uh, on on big boats and then ship it out to these islands because that's where the cyclone has um damage most of the houses and you know um homes so let's talk a little bit about food security how does that fit into the traditional economy um if you're producing traditionally most of your own food uh Mm. you can use it there used to be these exchange sort of markets traditional exchange markets where food could be distributed and stuff that was a traditional system in many parts of the country um Mm. Uh, and it's really good that the way that Vanuatu has reacted uh, during the lockdown has reacted in sending food from island to island, the, 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 the damage, right. sending food to the damaged islands. One thing that I think that the chiefs and the governments need to promote in Vanuatu, though, is another thing, right. uh, mm. uh, to minimize uh, the really urgent post-disaster aspects of these things is, is it really needs to promote the tradition that most areas of Vanuatu traditionally had mm. uh, customary disaster right. kaikai preparations. Right. Before mm. each cyclone season, mm. many areas mm. of the country, they would, pref- they would pre- pre-prepare types of food mm. that could be stored in caves mm. or in holes in the ground and stuff that could last for many mm. months. For example, in the Banks mm. Islands, there were one of the one of the disaster kaikai, disaster food preparations that they used to do before every cycling season was to mm. um, uh, make bread, breadfruit biscuits, smoked breadfruit biscuits right. that could last for months. Mm. And those would yes. be stored in places that would not be damaged by cyclones. 
and so in the post-cyclone uh, time, the, these stores would be opened and would be distributed, and people made, in the old days, uh, they made uh, an estimate of how much food might be needed uh, before crops started growing again. And mm -hmm. so this was really good systems, but uh, with missionization and development mm -hmm. stuff, well, those systems in most areas have fallen into disuse. Disuse, because now mm -hmm. everybody thinks, oh, suppose cyclone can buy me carrom free, or white rice, more bread, yeah, or something yes. like that, you know, yeah. Yes. Um, white yeah. rice is not, this, it fills the stomach, but it's not necessarily the best food there is. Um, mm -hmm. And what's the other thing that, they, that is, is uh, distributed? Uh, White bone, uh, uh, this type of white cabbage, we call it white bone. Yeah, <laughs> the white like, uh, bone. Yeah, 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 white bone. That's okay, I suppose. Mm. Um, but the thing is, the traditional systems, I remember during uh, some of the earlier cyclones on Tanner, mm. um, or oh, Cyclone Pam, various places, uh, or Cyclone Uma. I remember Cyclone Uma, yes. which hit Tanner. Mm -hmm. But yeah. uh, in those days, yeah. I mean, the custom people in parts of the interior southwest Tanner were still following this traditional disaster food preparation thing and so mm. when after cyclone uber in 1987 with their disaster food stuff they were able to supply food to people on the coast you know right. because they had food right. that was not destroyed they had long-term food mm. it just needs uh there are so many good systems uh, that have fallen yes. into disuse it just needs people to sort of sit down and talk with the the old chief or the old yeah. wise women and wise yeah. men and stuff and say, what did we used to do in the old days? Yes. How did we survive? You know, uh, there, right. are way, there are ways right. to do it, uh, you know, to prepare. It just needs to, uh, a little bit of preparation and a little bit of thought because the situation with the global warming, again, we haven't talked about global warming mm. and climate change. No, now that's No, but that's, mm. that's going to make, the cyclones are not going to be more frequent but what you'll get mm -hmm. is you'll get a larger number of cyclones mm -hmm. that are really, mm -hmm. really big ones, really like, big. like, mm -hmm. like, like these last ones. Huh? That's that's yes. the problem. Yes. So, uh, it needs so, I, it, it, so yeah. I guess the question, the question being, well, first of all, we haven't even uh, addressed the fact that Vanuatu is, you know, the most prone country in the world to be uh, for natural disaster. So. You know that in itself, and then all of this. So, the question being, are we adequately, adequately, sorry, planning to be able to provide this resilience? You know, um, traditional economy yeah. being a, yeah. res yeah. a yeah. factor yeah. of resilience, source of resilience, yeah. when the next global crisis comes around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are right in in it. So. Yeah. Very, very good that you, you had addressed that because I think with this discussion, I hope that young people, but not just young politicians and everybody, start asking, how are we preparing ourselves? Because I know in America, you know, every community will be, you know, you, I mean, my community, we all have your names down, how many people in your family, blah, 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 blah. You know, if the earthquake happens, you know, we all meet here or make sure that you have a box or whatever in your garage or somewhere safe that if there's an earthquake and you're locked outside or if the house falls down and you still be able to escape and having food on the side you know but then when we talk about a country like Vanuatu where we have all of this in place and if we are sleeping on the job 
We're not asking ourselves because we're in it already. We have got all this. Not only do we have natural disasters that we're prone to that, we have now pandemics health-wise. Then we have the case of, uh, you know, people not eating the right food and then having diseases like uh, NCD. And then now we got a whole bunch of issues of mental stress because, you know, we're in it. And then we have the economic crisis. Um, it almost feels like maybe we should just, like you said again, just sit and think and yes. prepare yes. ourselves. Yes. Well, look, um, uh, Vanuatu has always had earthquakes. It's always had tsunamis. It's always had cyclones. Uh, the cyclones will be a little bit stronger, but uh, there are mm -hmm. ways to adapt for those. Um, but another thing to bear in mind is the population of Vanuatu now is much lower than it yeah. was before <laughs> the modern world came into contact with it. You know, uh, people say now, you know, I mean, uh, what's the population of Vanuatu now? 300,000 or so? Mm. I mean, it's quite possible mm -hmm. that the population of the whole archipelago before the arrival of white people might have been three times higher. And, mm. you know, they've been around for a long time. So those, those traditional populations with no mobile mm. phones, with no modern money, with no bush knives, mm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right. had managed right. to survive quite well for mm. many centuries uh, yeah, without all this many years, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So uh, now we've got all this modern technology, which can help. Unfortunately, mm. a lot of over-reliance on modern technology sometimes tends to lead people in the wrong direction. Um, yes. So it just needs people mm -hmm. to sort of sit down and think, look, um, the Coach Center has a project, had a project on disaster foods mm. some years ago. Yes. So anybody who's interested, contact the Coach Center, see if they can get copies of the Coach Center booklet on disaster kaikai. Uh, right. And at the they, moment, the, doing a, the, 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 the National uh, Film and Sound food. Unit at the Coach mm -hmm. Center is preparing a documentary awareness film on um, <clears throat> on uh, disaster food preparation, you know, and stuff oh. like that. They're doing, they're doing a documentary mm -hmm. film about it. And there are people who can give okay. advice, like uh, you can ask, look, what, uh, uh, Numa, Numa Mahana, uh, uh, Nom, uh, Normaline, Normaline. Yeah. Uh, she's down yeah. on Tanner. She's one of the Coach mm -hmm. Center female field workers. She's a real specialist on mm -hmm. all different types of traditional food and disaster food the kind of stuff that right. you can prepare before the cyclone season, just to be on the safe side, so that you won't have to, yes. uh, you know, if the uh, cyclone blows away the Chinese store on the corner of the road, yeah. then, you can, still, <laughs> then you can still survive perfectly so, happy and probably healthier too. Is, is there any, do you, have you, uh, from your study throughout the, when you were in Vanuatu, have you ever come across any sort of um, traditions that they had preserved, preserving meat? Ah, no, because the thing is, meat was actually traditionally a very small part of the diet. It's mm. uh, 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 the interesting thing about traditional diets in Vanuatu was that it's mm. mostly vegetarian. 85% or uh -huh. so uh, or more of traditional diets were yam, taro, manioc, uh, breadfruit, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, and then mm. sweet potato and things like that. And, and all sorts of mm. other things, and stuff from the reef and things like that. But actual right, meat, right. meat, mm. I mean, pigs were uh, uh, 
a part of ritual diet through feasting and stuff, but we're not necessarily, you didn't necessarily have to have meat every day and stuff like that. That's one of the reasons why, for example, I mean, for many, many centuries, you've got Nivanuatu who've grown up on a diet that's essentially almost sort of vegetarian in a way. Vegetarian. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which yeah. is one of the reasons well, why they, they react so bad if they suddenly get an increase of too much animal yeah. fat protein in the diet. It yeah. can lead very mm. rapidly to very rapid uh, high cholesterol, you know, high problems in there. Mm. It's because for so okay. many centuries, um, mm. have have been living on really healthy, almost sort of, almost sort of vegetarian uh, type diets. Yeah? Uh, mm. And that's why I mean, rice can actually be rather damaging because rice comes from a different series of worlds, and mm. white rice is particularly damaging. White rice actually promotes diabetes type two. Unfortunately, sad mm. to say. But uh, other cultures yeah. overseas who've had centuries of ad adaptation to rice, they can they can deal with it better than than people in in, in Melanesia. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I mean you've got really good really good traditional foods. What's happened is that mm. so many of the special foods have mm. actually died out. People have forgotten how to make them. So you need to go into uh, the okay. last areas where I mean there's still full custom areas a few full custom mm -hmm. areas in Vanuatu that have really complex types of traditional food, really, you know, right, wide right, right. ranges of stuff that are, that are really excellent. Mm. Um, now, the thing is that people in Vanuatu who have access, you know, to contact people from the culture center and ask for copies of the culture center's publications or recordings or films on aspects of this, on traditional food oh. and, and things like this. Wow. Now, there's a lot of other inputs from the modern world that can be very useful as well, just so long as you mm. don't follow the sort of uh, uh, the freaky type of, uh, you know, uh, fast kaikai, uh, you know, yeah, hamburgers and that sort of stuff. I mean, that's, uh, you know, luckily there's no McDonald's, etc., etc., yet in Vanuatu, but uh, yes. that's oh, the kind I of stuff that the modern economic mm. system wants to get people addicted to. Just, exactly. Just to give you an yeah. example of the kind of dangers that this sort of stuff can pose to populations in the Pacific. Um, uh, I'll give you an example from 2006 uh, in, in Tahiti. Mm. Uh, uh, in 2006, um, I was over in Tahiti, and the director mm -hmm. of the museum in Tahiti, uh, Jean-Marc Pombois, who's a Tahitian, uh, came to pick me up at the airport, and he he said, uh, and it was quite a while since I'd been to Tahiti. Uh, mm. He said, look, I want to, uh, I got into his car, and he said, look, I want to take you somewhere first. I want to show you a new development here. Uh, mm. And I said, what is it? And he said, le développement n'est plus. He said, development mm. is killing us. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you'll see. And he took me into a part of Tahiti, Papeti, the capital, where they had, they had just recently, about 18 months beforehand, opened up a whole series of, for the first time ever, a whole series of the typical type of fast food things. McDonald's, mm. Kentucky Fried Chicken, Red Rooster, Pizza Hut, mm. and things like that. And mm. there were queues of Tahitians outside of the entrance right. of each of these stores. And he said, he said, it's killing us. He said, it's killing us. Yeah. We're getting so fat that it's killing us. He said, we're all getting high cholesterol. We're getting diabetes. 
uh, were getting heart attacks, and he said, before these things came, we had a, a rather, a, you know, a healthy diet. These things arrived, and he said, as I said, the development of truth. The development is killing us. Yeah. Um, and what it was, it became so serious that the, the French hospital in the capital, in Papeti, they had to open a special wing in the hospital mm. to deal particularly with Tahitian women to have operations because they were getting so fat, um, mm. you know, so quickly. And what it is, is this is, you could see it literally right in front of your eyes, happening right in mm. front of your eyes where these stores had opened up and that kind of food is very addictive because the manufacturers of the food, they put yeah. into the food high mm. levels of salts and sugars and fats of a type right. that they've calculated is very addictive to make people come back for more. And, and, it, and unfortunately, Pacific Islanders, they're very susceptible to incredibly rapid development of diabetes type 2, sick blood mm. sugar, etc. Mm. If you change from your normal healthy diet to a, uh, a sort of a Western-type diet where they overdo the animal fats and things like that. Yeah. Right. The, and then I literally saw it in front it? of my eyes, you know. Mm. I was seeing it, watching it in front yeah. of my eyes. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, in Vanuatu is happening, and you know, there's a lot of amputation going on, and that's never heard of, you know. I was growing in the, up in the 80s and 90s. Mm. That was something very rare to be able to you know just the thought of somebody that you know quantanitlo knife um a very scary thought just to think about that and um yes it is um something that we definitely have to keep um you know hopefully with the covid-19 that uh, that that you know nothing's coming in as in a fast um pace of uh, um in products coming from outside that people would be able to, it'd be interesting to see that after the, uh, afterward, the health of the people in Vanuatu, if there is any changes, because uh, um, with the washing of hands all the time, there has been, uh, the Ministry of Health has put out a, a rather nice, a good um, a result of showing that there, there are less uh, people having flu. Obviously, you know, we talked about last time of, of tourists coming in, so none of that. Yeah. So, um, so far, so far, so good. And um, let's let's just hope that it stays like this and we'll keep talking about it. And I think um, I'm I'm very grateful to have you come on, on um, the mat and Storian and talk to us about what are what the what is out there for us a traditional way of living and so that we don't get so bombarded and so lost in this technical world that we live in with so much information and yet lose touch of a reality of who we are as Nivanuatu people or as Melanesian people but st stay through to true to who we are and our values um what is what, probably perhaps the last what what would you like to say but um Traditional economy is our topic for today. What what yes. would be something that you would okay. like to say? Okay, well, look, I'd just like to say that here I'm. Thank you, Mary, for this opportunity to give a last talk talk here. Just like to say that my attitudes mm. to custom economy and self sufficiency and self reliance mm. uh, and sustainability they're not based just on reading. I've seen. Right from the 1970s in Vanuatu, visiting custom and living and working with custom communities, I saw that they, they already had it all there. Mm. You, know, right. you know, people in Middlebush, Southern Malakula, Middlebush, North Malakula, Middlebush, Tana and stuff. They were living, they were self-sufficient and stuff. 
Mm. So they've, they've got it there. It's all there. The possibility is still there for most of the population. But also, I mean, when I went in there and I saw this, I thought, this for me, it was perfectly normal because of the way that I'd been brought up in the West of England. In the 1950s mm. and 1960s, my family, my parents, our parents, myself and my brothers and sisters, made a decision to drop out of the modern world and to live mm. completely sustainability. This is this is uh, 70 years, you know, nearly 70 years ago. Uh, uh, ago, my father said, no electricity, mm. no TV, nothing. Raise all our own food. So this is how mm. I was brought up. And you realize how independent you actually are. You realize that mm. you can, if you can live like that, you can be self-sufficient. You can be really independent, mm. and life doesn't cost mm. much to live in. You know. If you've got your own land and you raise all your own food, this is what we did. We raised everything. We even made our own butter and cheese and, mm. uh, and everything. We milked. We had some cows. We milked the cows. We, we did everything. We didn't necessarily... Periodically, mm. one would go to stores and things like that. But what we tried to do mm. was to be self-sufficient and to raise our own food. And it really gives you a really mm. good sense of who you are. And the thing is, that's all they have done about you. You can... Combine yeah. the old traditional with the new. Yeah, um, and I'll yes, just that's right. Finish, mm -hmm. I'll end it with a little bit mm -hmm. of a thing mm -hmm. ending up on food. And again, this is a very short, short quote, a quote from that 2005 Culture Center publication that I wrote, huh? that people in Vila mm -hmm. can get from the Culture Center, or, or I can give you the online version and stuff. Yes. And there's one no, little no, thing that I mentioned about food mm -hmm. here in this book. And the paragraph is entitled, A Matter of Life and Death, Sick Belong Sugar. Mm. There's a practical right. health issue associated with modern development. This, this culture center project aims to support aspects of the traditional life and value systems, particularly in the outer islands of Vanuatu. A hopeful beneficial side of this project is that it may help to minimize urban drift to the capital. An active rural lifestyle on traditional foods is a lot healthier than an office job in the capital. A rapidly increasing health risk for Nivanuatu is the much-feared sick blanc sugar, diabetes mel mellitus. Mm. Medical studies done in the Pacific have indicated that Melanesians and Polynesians have a high ethnic susceptibility, Polynesians more so than Melanesians, to developing diabetes, sick blanc sugar, if they change from a traditional active lifestyle with a traditional diet to a Western-type inactive lifestyle and a Western diet. Recent medical studies with rural and urban Melanesians in New Caledonia clearly point this out, and the 1996 medical report there concludes, quote, this finding concerns, this finding confirms the deleterious or dangerous effect of Western, or, or even now Eastern, life in the population mm -hmm. subject to rapid modernization. Suppose you want them living, mm -hmm. when I went into Bishma, suppose you want them living one good, good fella life, long fella life. Mighty yeah. good, blow, think about blow, Lego Vila, go back to island, or lift them up, big, match, shell money, yam, cava, or what them where you got, blow, you say they got one rich, more long fella life. Look, sorry, I don't mean everybody should leave Vila, mm -hmm. but just to bear in mind that you've all come from cultures that have been sustainable yeah. cultures for many, many centuries. Raised all your own food on your own land and lived very well. You know, don't lose that. Combine the old with the new, and you'll have a much better life. Thank you, Mary, for giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit about some of these things that 
hopefully you'll be able to, and other people will be able to develop more. Well, thank you so much for coming to the Madden uh, Story on with us. That was Kirk Huffman again, our friend from uh, all the way from Sydney. Obviously, he has spent so many years in Vanuatu with his expertise and um, his experience, and he's still learning, as he always refers to. Um, we thank you so much for being with us today, and we will shall talk to you again next time. Tabiana Mary, bongi. Bongi, Tabiana. This podcast is created and produced by Melanesian Women Today, a non-profit organization. Please visit our website at www.melanesianwomentoday.org. That is all one word. Melanesian Women Today envisions a Pacific region where every woman, girl and child in their respective communities in Melanesia lives a productive, healthy and fulfilling life. We are on a mission to improve the well-being and quality of lives and also to promote and improve leadership in women and girls in their communities. Please consider making a donation today on our website to support our work. Thank you for your support.